Let us come before God in prayer. Let us pray. O God, as we receive your word through your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to your justice. Open our ears to your judgment. And open our hearts to your love. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I would invite David to come forward. David will be reading the scriptures for us this morning. Good morning. From the Old Testament Deuteronomy 39-14. And the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all your undertakings, in the fruit of your body, in the fruit of your livestock, and in the fruit of your soil. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you, just as he delighted in prospering your ancestors. When you obey the Lord your God by observing his commandments and decrees that are written in this book of the law, because you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get it for us that we may hear it and observe it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart to observe. From the Old Testament, Psalm 25, 1 to 10. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed that you are wantonly treacherous. Make us to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees. And from the New Testament, Colossians 1, 1 to 14. I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, In our prayers for you, we will always thank God, the Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ. 
For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have all that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, you have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learn from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is the faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be fulfilled with the knowledge of God's will in your spiritual wisdom and undertaking, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power so that you may all have endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the, the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> and from the New Testament, Luke 10, 25 to 37. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to them, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer do, it, do this and you will live. But wanting to vindicate himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and took off, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him. And when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, treating them with oil and wine. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, his two, the two derail, derail, gave him to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one that showed us mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Friends in Christ, what I say to you this morning is proclaimed in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Do this and you will live. Sometimes it all comes down to a matter of perspective. How we understand an action or an event very much depends on the vantage point that we stand, from which we stand and from which we view that action or event or view that story. This morning, David has read for us the story of the Good Samaritan. And for many of us, it is a story that we've known from our youth, right? We, we learned it when we were children in Sunday school. It's a simplified uh, and, and kind of pared down into a little, that little axiom that we teach our children. Be kind. Do unto others as we, you would have them do unto you. But we know that there's more going on in the gospel story than just little childhood axioms. The lessons of youth are but a glimpse of this story with all of its twists and turns that are going on and none of it is quite as easy as our childhood memories lead us to believe. The cast of characters in the story is really quite small. There's a priest, a Levite, people of righteousness and position in their society. There's the Samaritan, an outcast, and there's a man in the ditch. Of him, we know nothing other than that he was in need. And there's one more character in the story. An unnamed character, but an important character nonetheless. The law of Moses. The law of Moses is the most dominant character in the story. The priest and the Levite can be almost seen as one character, can't they? Because they kind of occupy the same uh, role in the story as, as we understand it. Each of them is a person of a certain status in Jewish society of Jesus' day, and each in the story is limited in how they can respond to this man that they encounter laying in the ditch by their strict obedience to the law of God. Way back in our church school days when we first heard this story, we may have thought that these men, these, the priest and the Levite, were faithless because they didn't stop to help. But indeed, the exact opposite was true for the people who heard this story as Jesus told it. As for the people of faith who were hearing Jesus tell the story, these men were the paragons of faithfulness. And the first listeners would have understood their actions as well. Were either of these two men to come into contact with this man laying in the ditch, battered and bleeding and left for dead, they would have been unable to fulfill any of their, their commitments. They would have been rendered ritually unclean according to the law of Moses. And they could not have fulfilled any of the tasks that lay before them. Jesus' hearers would have thought, well, of course these men 
can't help that man. If they touch him, they become unclean. And then becomes the Samaritan. And the Samaritan is the surprise. No, not a surprise. The Samaritan in the story is a shock. If you remember all of the incidents that we read about Samaritans in the gospel lessons, then you know that Samaritans are always a shock. They are always considered outsiders. What was wrong with Samaritans? A little bit of Jewish history just to catch us all up and remind us, because some every now and then we need to remind ourselves about Samaritans. By the time that Jesus tells this parable, Jews and Samaritans had hated each other for over a thousand years. It all goes back to when the death of King Solomon. When Solomon died and the monarchy split into two factions, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, which rebelled and founded a new capital in the city of Samaria. Samaritans, okay? And the two southern tribes that made their capital in Jerusalem. There was this long-held ethnic hostility and political and religious rivalry that separated Jews and Samaritans. So when Jesus said Samaritan, the lawyer immediately knew where that man fell in the rank of power. If the priest and the Levite were people of stature and respect, well, the, Samaritan, uh, the, the lawyer knew how he felt about people who were like that. But there's something more. There's something else that perhaps we might miss as we read this story, not being familiar with the forms and structures of stories in Jesus' day. It's a little bit of perspective that maybe we've lost. But you see, in the ancient Near East, in the tradition of storytelling that Jesus has inherited, it's the third character to walk on the stage who is the hero. And so think about this story. First a priest, then the Levi, and then the Samaritan. The Samaritan is the third character. And therefore, he was the hero. It's like, it was a way for the audience to know who to root for in the story. It's like the old westerns, you know, when cowboy when the good guys wore white hats and the bad guys wore black hats so you always knew who you were supposed to root for the same is true in this story when jesus says announces this third character to walk on the onto the stage of the story and says and he was a samaritan everybody listening would be scandalized how can a Samaritan be the hero of our story? And so without saying a word about what the Samaritan is about to do, Jesus already scandalizes the crowd. But then he goes on and Jesus defines the hero. 
The hero here, the Samaritan, is the one who binds up the wounds of the man in the ditch, who puts him on his donkey and takes him into town, who cares for him and leaves money to ensure that he will be cared for by others. He is the hero. But we must always remember that that conclusion was a stretch for all who heard the story. But then there is the question around which the whole parable revolves. Who in this story this morning, who in this passage of scripture is saved? I think when we were children in Sunday school, if you had asked us that question, the answer would have been obvious and clear. We would have said the Samaritan, right? Yeah. No. It's not the Samaritan. It's the lawyer. Remember the lawyer? The lawyer, you see, is the person who we barely even think about. The lawyer is the one who comes to test Jesus. And it's the lawyer who asks Jesus the question, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asks the lawyer, What does it say in the law? And the lawyer responds that with that most familiar passage from Deuteronomy, the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, pardon me, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. But the lawyer, like all good lawyers, wants to have the terms of the contract spelled out in clearest detail. And so the lawyer follows up his right answer the answer that Jesus affirms as being correct with the question, who is my neighbor? It's a way of saying, is there a limit to God's grace? If there's some people who can be defined as my neighbor, then there are also people who can be defined as not being my neighbor and then Jesus responds with the parable the parable is a story it's the lawyer whose life will be changed there are two lessons that we we learn from this parable this morning or sorry from this morning's scripture not just the parable but taking into account the lawyer. The first is this. In the parable, each of the people who encounter the man upon the road struggle with how they are going to live in accordance with the law of God. The Levi, the priest, and the Samaritan. All are people who believe in God. Now, they might not see that in each other, but each of them belongs to part of that great heritage of the 12 tribes, the 12 descendants of a, 12 tribes that descend from Abraham and therefore are the bearers of Abraham's promise. 
Each of them, each of the three men, interpret God's law. Indeed, the crowd of people overhearing this story, as we mentioned, would have completely understood the actions of the priest and the Levi because they know the law of the Lord. And yet we know this reality about the law of God. None of us can live up to the law of the Lord. To live a righteous and holy life is always a struggle for us. And so God's law is always tempered by God's mercy. God is forgiving to us because none of us can attain the eternal life if we were evaluated on our righteousness alone. That is what happens here too. The law is very clear. You shouldn't touch anybody who's bleeding on the side of the road. The law is very clear. The priest and the Levite were right. Except God's mercy says that we reach out and help those who are in need. The pain and the suffering of others. The mercy we show trumps our rigid adherence to the law. And as Jesus tells that parable, the lawyer somehow gets it. Praise God, the lawyer somehow gets it. And all of the people whom he could have seen, as all, of all of the people whom he could have seen as the neighbor, he ends up identifying not the ones who were strictly adhering to the law, but the one man who shows mercy. For mercy is at the heart of God. And as mercy defines our relationship with God, so mercy defines our relationships with others. The second lesson is this. Eternity, it begins now. How often do we hear people speaking about eternity and the afterlife or eternal life of going to heaven after they die? And yet they say very little about life here on earth. Eternity is an infinite concept. Infinite meaning it has no beginning and it has no end. Eternity, therefore, cannot be eternity if it does not include today. If our thoughts about of faith are only, dealt, are only to deal with those matters that lie beyond the grave, what will happen to us after we die, then it's not eternity. Because we're here today. And today is part of eternity, too. The law was given to the children of Abraham as an outward sign of their inward grace. It was proof that their belief in God made a difference in their lives now. The whole covenant of Abraham is based on the fact that God gives a gift to Abraham and Sarah. That gift is a people 
and the land, that people may come to know, that all the world may come to know God through Abraham and his descendants after him. And then, important, and then God gives the law to the people as an identity for them. Grace has already been received in the promise God makes with Abraham. But new life, new hope is something that God gives to the people so that they will be different from those in whose, con whose, in whose context they live. That they will live from a different perspective. When the lawyer comes seeking eternal life, I wonder, was he wondering about how to live out today or tomorrow? Or was he thinking of that somewhere out there type of eternal life? But in this parable that Jesus tells, Jesus knits together these two realms of history, temporal and heavenly. And he reminds the lawyer, he reminds us that eternity is now. The encouragement for us as people of faith is to live a life of mercy, to seek God's justice, and to reach out to all who are in need. It's, it's amazing. It's not amazing. It's shocking. It's horribly disappointing sometimes when we hear, when I hear people, pastors, out in the media world who use faith as a cudgel to beat other people down because that is not what the gospel teaches to us today or any other day for that matter the gospel shockingly tells us to look at all of the people that we think may be different from us and to see in them the mercy of God's grace to look at the Samaritan and to see in him God's mercy and God's grace. To look at those who are in need and see God's mercy and God's grace. To look at those who think differently than we do, who vote differently than we do, who do any number of things differently than we do and see in them God's mercy and God's grace. Because all that other stuff, I don't think God really cares about but God cares about mercy and justice and calls us to work for both in this world we have received it so shall we give thanks be to God